So about 10 years ago, I saw a tweet about a new restaurant opening here in Massachusetts. Um, and it was a Bobby's Burger Palace restaurant and from the celebrity chef Bobby Flay. If you all, I'm, I imagine everyone is familiar with them. The restaurant chain wasn't new. There were already a bunch in like New Jersey, New York, and other states. But this was going to be the first one that was opening in mass. And the tweet said, you know, go and have a burger for the first X amount of hours. Bobby will be on site. He'll, you know, mingle with diners and guests. You can take a photo with him. And, and it was cool. So, you know, I saw the tweet and I... I'm not like obsessed with Bobby Flay. I don't have a poster of him on my wall. Uh, but I'm a Food Network fan, and so I asked some friends, hey, like, let's go. We'll, we'll eat lunch, and, and we'll go, you know, have a cool experience. And, you know, you expect a large crowd whenever there's a celebrity, but I didn't expect this big of a crowd. Like, you know, it wasn't like Adele was in town. It was Bobby Flay, but it was huge. Like, there was this big, big, big line. The issue was this was January here in Massachusetts, very cold, and you're only allowed to wait outside. So we were in this like long, winding line, freezing to death outside, shivering, and constantly asking ourselves, like, should we leave? Should we go? And then five minutes would pass, and we'd get a little line down. We'd, oh, should we go? Is this worth it? We'd move down. And then, you know, you count the people ahead of you. You're looking through the glass and seeing how long it's taking for people to eat. And we just kept asking ourselves that question. Is this worth it? Is this going to be worth it? Well, regardless of whether the answer to the question, we did end up waiting. It took us four hours in the freezing cold. We did get a picture with Bobby Flay. This is a long time ago. We look like babies. You see me and Unji over here? So cute. Uh, whenever there's that, like, opening small group, uh, what is it called, icebreaker, like, oh, talk about a celebrity encounter, I always forget that I met him because I don't care that I met him. The restaurant is also no longer there. The food is mediocre. And so, no, it was not worth it. It was not worth standing four hours in line in the middle of January. And by the way, the Celtics, there was a Celtics game that day that I was missing. It was, I remember it because that was when Rondo, he, he hurt his elbow. It wasn't worth it. What have you all done that was a big commitment, whether you drove long distances, you waited in like line for many hours, it was costly with your time, your energy, maybe you paid a lot of money for something that was so, so, so worth it, or like, oh my gosh, like I regret doing that, it was not worth it. Maybe you stood in a long line like I did, but instead of to meet like a celebrity chef, uh, maybe for a new gadget like a phone release or sneakers that, you know, are like limited edition Maybe you paid extra, extra money to get a PS5 early on Facebook Marketplace. Maybe you decided the cost would be to leave your family Thanksgiving dinner early, skip dessert, to go stand in line in the cold at Best Buy uh, for, you know, to get the best deals. Or you spend a truckload of money on, like, marked-up concert tickets to go see Blackpink or BTS or maybe a playoff game and, you know, the, the NBA or NFL playoffs. In life, we have a lot of experiences like this where... We end up measuring whether or not the cost of something, and I'm not just talking about financial cost, I'm talking about time, energy, whatever. The cost of something is worth the benefit in the end. And it's different for all of us, right? So I don't know if you all have been following, but right now, like, you know, people are paying thousands of dollars, thousands literally, for nosebleed tickets to see Taylor Swift, you know, dive into her, you know, like the fake pool of her concert thing. Y'all seen that? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm personally not a fan of hers. But to others, worth every penny. We have different values, different things that bring us joy. And so, you know, it'll be dependent on the person as to whether it's worth it or not. 
there is something that I feel like is more universal. It's not about our preferential, you know, things, our, our hobbies, the celebrities or musicians that we enjoy. Uh, when it comes to like this, is it worth it conundrum? And, it, and it's in around the topic of mental health. See, some people would pay $1,000 to see Taylor Swift. Others wouldn't even be paid $100 to go see her. It's a perspective thing. It's preferential. But I think something we all share that's universal, not preferential, is that we all want to be mentally well, right? I don't know if anybody, oh, no, I don't. It's universal. We all want to be happy. We want to be well. We want to be free of depression, anxiety, and burdens. We want to be free of mental disorders. It's, it's universal. We all share that. But the tricky part that I also think universally gets us is after we acknowledge, yeah, I do want a very good mental health. After that, there's a question that always follows. Yeah, but is it worth it, though? Ask a BTS fan or a Blackpink fan or whatever, Adele fan. I don't know why I said Adele earlier. If their tickets were worth 900 bucks, it's like, oh, my gosh, I, I would have paid... 1800 but double it. I would have done it again and again and again. It's no question. Oh, it's so worth it. But ask someone to put in some sort of cost. Again, I'm not just talking financial. To pursue greater mental health. And for some reason, we always get into this debate. We don't just jump to, oh, of course. It, no, we, ah, well, what are the pros and cons of this? Let me, let me give you an example of what might go on in our minds. Let's say I'm talking to somebody. I'm like, hey, do you want to live healthy in your, you have a mentally healthy life? You're like, oh, of course I do, of course I do. And I'm just going to use the example of therapy, pursuing therapy. It doesn't have to be that. There's way more other, like, you know, things that we can and should do to have greater mental health. Like, oh, like, let's just fake conversation. Oh, have you considered seeing a therapist? What first happens to all of us, and when I've heard, I've sat across, this is a real-life conversation I've had with so many people, including many of you. First off, ah, yeah, but... Yeah, I guess some counselors will take my insurance. It'll be 25 bucks a copay. Others, you know, I found, I heard about one, but they don't take insurance. $150 per time? That, that adds up. Is that worth it? Is it worth my time? Uh, yeah, I guess I would like that, but it, I'm really busy right now. I don't, my calendar's already jam-packed. I'd have to cra cram that in somewhere. Is it worth the inconvenience? I did reach out to one therapist, but, but he or she said that, like, they can only meet Wednesdays at this awkward time. The parking is bad. I would have to ask my boss to leave early at 4.15 instead of 5. Is it worth the awkwardness or the embarrassment? If people ask me, like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, ah, yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't mind telling them I'm going to see a counselor. But, like, then I have to explain. Is it worth it? Is it worth finding a therapist that I fit well with? You know, my friend told me it took them five different therapists before they finally found, like, do I want to do that over and over again to find good chemistry? Is that worth it? Is it worth the emotional energy of digging up stuff that I do a really good job of pushing down? Is it really worth it? If you remember anything from today's message or the next four weeks, if you remember anything what I hope and pray, and I have been praying this week that you'll remember, is the answer to the question is yes, it's worth it. It's worth the cost. It's worth the money, the inconvenience, the time, the energy, the embarrassment, the awkwardness, the parking. If they're like back bay, like do I really want to go? Yes. It's worth it. That's the overarching thing that I hope, if you remember anything from these messages, is that it's worth it. 
God wants us to be whole. And whatever has to go into that, it's worth the pennies, it's worth the energy, it's worth the steps that are required of us to pursue being whole. So in today's message, I'm just going to share what I believe are the three beginner steps, first three steps to approaching our mental health as a Christian. This is like a beginner's guide to Christian mental wellness, to being made whole, being whole in Christ. So step one, how do we pursue wholeness in Christ? Well, step one is doing so graciously. Let's turn to Mark 14, verse 32, where Mark writes this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. This is familiar to us. We, you know, the original Holy Week. We just were talking about this for a long time. It's Jesus. We find him in a garden called Gethsemane. And he's praying right before he gets arrested, before he gets unjustly tried, before he gets executed and tortured. We know this, right? We just talked about it. He knows the suffering that's about to be just unleashed upon him. And scripture tells us that Jesus Christ was distressed and troubled. Jesus himself is quoting, uh, is quoted, and I just read this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Not just I'm sad, it's I'm filled with overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In Luke's account of the story, I just read Mark, Luke writes this, and in being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, the gospel writers are clear in describing Jesus in intense anxiety, fraught with the weightiness of the pain and the suffering. He's overwhelmed to the point of death, he says himself. In this text and other parts of the Bible, we see that Jesus got anxious. He cried. And more than crying, he wept sometimes. He was sorrowful. Jesus got overwhelmed. Jesus also went through distress and experienced that. What we also know about Jesus is that he was perfect. So let me just draw our attention to those two things. Like, let that sink in. Jesus was anxious and distressed, overwhelmed, sorrowful sometimes. And he was also perfect. Jesus cannot do anything that is, is imperfect. He's perfect. I think oftentimes we think about our distress, our anxiety and stress, our sorrows, etc. as imperfect. We see these signs as weakness or dysfunction or something is wrong with me. That we're not right, that we need to get it together, that we need to be fixed, right? As if somehow you're broken for feeling depression. But the truth is that if you're struggling with your mental health, if you're experiencing this wide range of emotions and the strong and the powerful ones, there's nothing wrong with you. Jesus felt that too. And as we are on this journey of mental wellness and being made whole with the help of God, the first thing we've got to do is see our mental struggle not as weakness, not as imperfection, and be gracious to our humanity. <laughs> our humanity that Jesus also took on himself and shared. We pursue wholeness in Christ graciously to others, certainly, but to ourselves also. 
what Pastor Bill just mentioned about how he felt really loved with the text and all that, I think our church, one of the greatest gifts is how good we are at the other. We're awesome at love and grace, giving this way. But we're not so good at doing it this way. So maybe I actually want to spend more time to say the first step to pursuing mental wellness and wholeness for you is being gracious to you. Not seeing yourself as less than and broken and flawed. But seeing yourself as a person, as a human. And being gracious to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be gracious to your experience of distress and the hardship that you go through. And this is the posture that I believe, in my humble opinion, is step one. If we really want to be made whole in Christ Jesus, let's start with our posture of graciousness and understanding. And then we move to step two. We pursue wholeness in Christ decisively. So first graciously and then decisively. In Philippians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul writes this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what we know is that as Christians, I hope you believe this, I do, is that God is the one who does the real heavy lifting in any area of wholeness, right? God's the one that saved you that we celebrated in Easter. We didn't do that work. It was the work of Christ. God is the one who ultimately transforms hearts and minds. God is the one who's the great healer who can take the worst and deepest of wounds and heal them and leave no scar behind. God is the one who quells fears and who calms anxieties that we cannot shake ourselves. He does the heavy lifting. But you and I, we still have responsibility. If this was a movie, Jesus is the main star. He's the actor. We're a supporting role, but we still have a role. Paul tells us in the text I just read that in every situation to be prayerful, to maintain thankfulness, to do our job of bringing things before God. We still have to move our feet to take action in this pursuit of wholeness. We can't just sit back and kind of do nothing. A few months ago, uh, Cornerstone and, and other churches did like this football tournament. And if you remember, if you were here, I, I gave an announcement. And I, I was told people were upset at me <laughs> for announcing this. That the only time I broke a bone in my body was at a Cornerstone flag football tournament. I've shared this with y'all before. It was my nose. I broke my nose playing football at a cornerstone flag football tournament. I was playing quarterback, and I drew up this genius play because I'm Bill Belichick, right? I was like, oh, I'm going to hand it off. I'm going to, you know, give it to our running back who was like nobody could catch him that day. But, but he decided to not run that way, but he did it right at me, and he lifted up his forearm, and bang, he smacked me with his forearm right in my nose, and I broke it. And, and thankfully, we, we had a, a facial surgeon a member of Cornerstone who was there. So it was awesome. He came over to me. He, like, did this, like, thingy and examined me. And he was like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry. It's broken. And then I was like, oh, what should I do? And we talked about it. Ultimately, I, des I decided to do nothing. I would ice it, take some ibuprofen, and just let it heal. And it's been fine for the most part. Uh, I have, like, super minor consequences. Like, it didn't set properly, right? I just let it go. And I have a deviated septum. So, like, my left nostril, it's, like, harder to breathe. Like, this one's nice and clear. This one's like, argh, like, it, it's just, like air doesn't go in. It's a little annoying. I'm lucky that it was very minor. Other people break bones. I'm sure you've, maybe you've experienced this or your friend or a family member has. And, you know, you don't go and get it properly adjusted and set by a doctor. And so you have way more worse consequences than my problem. 
And what has to happen is once you get to the place or your family member, your friend got to the place where it was just too annoying, they couldn't take it anymore, what do you have to do? You go back to the doctor for them to re-break the bone, for them to set it properly and begin the process of healing all over again. But this time, at least you know it's going to set well. I find that many of us treat our mental health this way. Some traumatic thing happens or we're carrying a burden and then finally there's a straw that breaks the camel's back and then we ignore it. Ah, time will, time will take care of it. And in some regard, you're right. Time does do something and it sets. You kind of are less stressed about it. You're not like thinking about it every waking moment. Maybe the, the, the cycles of tears and stress kind of settle. But you're walking with a limp until you get to a point where you're like, ah, I need to get the bone set properly. And you have to go back in, dig up everything, and re-break the bone. Get back into that mental place again that you, 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 you let time pull you out of. So maybe a therapist or, or, or whatever, whoever might be helping you or multiple people are helping you can set it properly starting all over in the healing process from step one. See, ignoring our mental health is a barrier for many of us in our pursuit of wholeness and wellness. And so I want to encourage you to act decisively for your wholeness, to make a decision, a clear-cut one, commit to it, to bring your troubles to God as the one who is capable of healing you and to do your part. He's still the main actor you just have to make a decision to go into the great physician's office for it to heal properly. Now I know, because I've experienced it too, if you're feeling depressed, the last thing you want to hear from someone is to do something. Are you kidding me, guy? Like, I don't even want to get out of bed and you're telling me to take care of myself? I understand. I understand. Everything feels like a major chore. It's difficult to even get to work. Your work performance is struggling. Your grades are drip dipping. Like, oh my God, like you really think that I have the energy? I know, I understand. So when I say decisively, I don't want this to be a, like, a, like a, a scary word. Like, and, and for us to attach different adverbs to it, like perfectly, maturely. Make sure you act thoroughly. Not things that would be daunting. By decisively, I... That might be one thing that you decide to do that is super simple. But be decisive in taking a choice or making the choice of taking responsibility for your role in your journey to wholeness. Which leads me to our last point, which might be that one little decision. Step three, we pursue wholeness in Christ communally. So we start from a posture of grace to ourselves, to each other, to those who are struggling. I feel like most of us need it more for me. Then we decide, I'm, I need it, even if it's one itty-bitty thing, I want to at least try this. And we do it, what I hope is communally. In James 5, James encourages believers to pray for each other. He says, pray for the sick, pray for those who are in trouble, pray for those who are struggling in sin. Pray for your community, pray for each other. And the most important reminder that I want to draw our attention to is in verse 16 where he says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
I'm a pastor. I went to seminary. I've grown up in the church. I have to come up and preach sermons. But I confess to all of you that sometimes I forget this too. That prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer is powerful and effective. See, there are varying levels of community involvement in your pursuit. Don't get, I don't want anybody to feel this is like daunting too. Because some of us were like ready to open up and share everything. And others of us, we, oh God, like that's like, it's just going to make me feel worse. I don't want to talk to people right now. And I certainly don't want to share about the things that are going on in our mind. And it's fine. It's not about how much you want to share. But what if you, you can share all the details, you can keep it vague. But I want to just encourage everyone to invite and or let people pray for you. And if you're blessed enough that you have people asking you if they, if you can, if they can pray for you, if you're part of a small group and you end in prayer, if, if you're in some sort of scenario where someone asks what your prayer requests are, you can just be honest with them. You don't even have to share details. You can be as vague as you want to because God doesn't need details. He already knows. Just share honestly and let someone who wants to pray for you do it. And maybe you're not in a small group where like at one hour, like every Wednesday night, somebody or multiple are asking you. Maybe you don't have that in your life. Is there one person, two people, three people, anybody you can ask to pray for you? I know two people, him and me, <laughs> two people. We cannot underestimate the power of prayer. The moment we go to prayer as a last resort or feel like prayer is meaningless or doesn't do anything or never really care to consider whether people are praying for us or not is when we've truly lost our power as the church. Where we've lost our way, our identity. Praying on behalf of each other is a power we have access to that is nothing that this, like, what the, this world can offer. If you find a therapist that's so much of an expert that they're $1,000 an hour, that person cannot give to you what prayer can. And that's just one aspect of becoming mentally healthy in community. It's not just prayer. It's just one example. We benefit when we're there for each other, when we go out of our way to put ourselves in a context where we can receive love. Like signing up for a small group, for example, or going to the thing, or, or, or being more open to, to hanging out or seeing people, checking in on each other and listening, being willing to share, trusting each other, and kind of taking those leaps of trust when we're afraid. There's a plenty of things that we can do. But again, as a Christian, and in the beginning of this journey of wholeness, I can't see that happening in isolation. There's a reason why the greatest punishments in this world are isolation. There's a reason why God made the church. Why from the beginning, he saw Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he made for him a partner. We need community. So in summary, as God's children... We can pursue wholeness in Christ, wellness, and thriving in our mental health if we do so, firstly, graciously. Acknowledge that your struggle is not something wrong with you. That you're not a broken and flawed person. 
and extend grace to you and to those around you who might be going through similar things. To be decisive, even if it's one decision, just to be decisive, not thoroughly decisive, but even if it's just one thing. To not be paralyzed by the feeling of over, it's too overwhelming to have this to-do list. Don't create a to-do list. Do one thing if, it's if, it's, if that's where you're at. And to do so communally, inviting people into your lives, giving them permission or even requesting them to support you, whether through prayer or plenty of other ways. So obviously, the audience to what, how I'm writing and sharing this is, is those who are in the struggle. Some of us are not there. Um, some of us are there, but we also have two hats, the struggler and the struggler's help. And a lot of us are, are probably in that mix where we're, we're also willing and open to helping others. And this could be a whole sermon on its own. So, but, so I was kind of debating, do I address like people who, how to support well? Oh, it's going to be distracted. But I decided at least if it's just one thing I want to share, I do want to address how we support each other, how you wear the other hat. I can't count the number of times that friends and community members who have amazing willingness, amazing hearts, amazing desire, amazing love for their friends and their family who are struggling with their mental health end up being paralyzed and not doing anything or much at all because of this sentence. I don't really know what to say. Like my, my best friend is like, in a really dark place, and I would, I, like, I want to help them so much. They're my best friend. But I don't know what to do, though. I can't count the number of times I've heard, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. So I just want to address that. My response is you do know what to say, you do know what to do. The issue is that you're confusing your role. Imagine you're at the gym. You're walking around, you're moving to your next spot, and this, like, you know, giant dude is benching 300 pounds, got three plates on the side, he taps you on the shoulder, oh, excuse me, excuse me, do you mind giving me a spot? I hope you would say yes. But if you said, would you say, oh, no, I can't lift 315 pounds? I'm not strong, or, oh, I don't actually bench press, sorry, I don't know how to do that. No, uh, find somebody else. You scurry away awkwardly. You don't have to be able to lift 315 pounds to spot somebody who is. You don't even need to know the proper form of bench pressing to spot someone who is. That doesn't matter. You might never ever have touched a bench before, but that doesn't prevent you from being able to help them because when somebody taps you on the shoulders, hey, can you be my spotter? What they're not asking is, duk, 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 are you a bodybuilder? Are you super strong? Can you lift this too? No. They're just asking you to help them. We don't confuse our role in that scenario. When it comes to being intimidated and feeling inadequate and helping a struggling friend with mental health, we need to remember, you're not being asked to be their therapist. You're not being asked to be a professional mental health counselor. If anything, if you are in that mindset, please remove it. I know so many mental health professionals whose their biggest pet peeve are family members and friends who get in the way of someone's healing because they try to counsel them too much. They Google something and they're like, oh, you know, take this. You know, like, 
no, 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 you're wrecking it. Just let me do my job and you do yours. You're their friend. You're their family member. You're their spouse. You're their cousin. You're their roommate. You're not their therapist. Don't try to counsel somebody who's depressed, please. And I think that's what intimidates us. Because we want to have the sentence like a professional therapist that's going to make them go, oh my gosh, I never thought of that before. That's not our job. You do know what to do, and you do know what to say. You're called to be their friend, and you know how to do that. If anything, most of you are excellent at that. That's why we love this church community, because you're so stinking good at it. It means listening to them and sitting. Oftentimes, good friendship means being present, saying nothing at all. But driving or taking the tea or going to that person's house and literally just sitting there with them in silence sometimes. It means even telling them, hey, I'm here to listen to you. I don't really fully understand what you're going through. I can't relate. But I promise like I'm here to listen and to pray for you and to care for you the best way that I know how. What you do know how to do is love with actions and words. Maybe to, if, you, if you're that close with them, you know their love language. Is it quality time? Is it gift giving? You can come prepared with that. You don't need a, a PsyD. You don't need a master's in, in counseling and in therapy. You all know exactly what to do and exactly what to say. So if you ever find yourself intimidated and confused supporters, just remind yourself, wait, 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 wait. Am I thinking that I'm supposed to be their therapist? Have I confused my role? A lot of times you'll find the answer is yes. And if you just remember that your role is to be a supporter, a spotter, I think we're all equipped to do that. Last Sunday, you know, we've mentioned this multiple times. We shared a glorious Easter celebration here together at Cornerstone. We had, I don't know where they came from, but like more than 100 people than our average showed up. We were dressed up and looking dapper and pretty. We decorated the auditorium. We had a baptism and baby dedications. We had a delicious meal and donuts and photos and all this stuff. It was awesome. And that I also, as Pastor Bill mentioned, I also love how Cornerstone really, like, really like does allow us to experience the joy and the power of the resurrection together every sun, Easter Sunday. So some people might be wondering, how do you guys go from that joyful high of Easter and they go into a mental health series? Like, isn't that like a downer? Like, you know, shouldn't you ride the wave of, of happiness and, and isn't that a joy kill? Obviously, my answer is no. If we celebrated Easter and really understood what that celebration was about, then of course we would be talking about stuff like this. If we celebrated Easter and then just wanted to talk about happy, smiley stuff, I think we would have failed to truly understand why we celebrated at all, why the resurrection actually matters to you, because it would just be a holiday where we just fake happy. Or we would have misunderstood theologically that Easter only has impacts after your death. What we celebrated together last week was at least I know where I'm going where I, when I die. But that's not 
why the church rejoices every Easter Sunday and every Sunday period. Because the resurrection is effectual and impactful to you today, tomorrow, now, and your eternity. And so what else would we talk about but things that need the power and the joy of the resurrection to enter in and breathe life into your soul about? For many of us, it's the struggle. For many of us, it's been years of depression. Or for many of us, it's been this thing gnawing at us that we can't seem to shake. For many of us, it's been the efforts to actually heal on our mental health. We did do all those things and it just didn't work out. For many of us, it's things that we never want to touch because it's too painful for our past. It's those very things that Jesus' power and the joy of the resurrection must enter into. And so really Easter is special because there is that power available to you. Because you can hope for a greater joy in your life because the tomb was empty. Because he resurrected. Because the power of God in your life truly is great and awesome. And it's all because he died and then he rose again. So for those of you who have been struggling with your mental health and feeling like you're walking with a limp, whether for a long time or seasonally or whatever, for those of you who are weary, for those of you who feel hopeless, for those of you who have given up and thrown in the towel or you're just sick of it, remember what we celebrated last Sunday, that he is risen, that he is risen indeed. The tomb was empty, that Jesus is now reigning at the right hand of the Father and his power and love are available to you to walk you through this journey to becoming whole. So my humble, non-mental health professional, pastoral encouragement to us, church, remember Easter. That's available to you, that power. And then as you begin this journey or as you're already on it, remember to be gracious to yourself to be decisive in what role you play and to do it together with us here. And let me do that now. I would love to pray for you now as we do this in community. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for um, anybody in this room or watching at home who feels burdened. A burden of any kind, of any severity, of any length of time. Just who feel burdened. I pray for anybody who is losing hope I pray for those who are really weary. And I definitely pray for those who feel like they're all alone. Gracious God, with the same power that resurrected your son from the dead, I pray for your almighty, loving presence in offering hope, joy, and peace into their lives. 
And you ultimately know best in what form and shape that ought to take. But I pray that one of them, one of hopefully many, would be Cornerstone, would be this community. I don't mean Cornerstone organizationally. I mean us people. That through our mouths, through our prayers, through our hands and feet, through our showing up and being present, through our being friends, through our being community members, brothers and sisters, that we would carry, being used by you, that power, that joy, that hope. Lord, we're in this journey together. And I pray that anybody who is feeling those burdens today, that you would answer our prayer through our community. Lord, I pray that everyone who, and I imagine it's most of us, I do this all the time, who questions whether it's worth it to put in any energy or cost. I pray that you just keep repeating yes in their minds over and over so they wouldn't be able to shake it. I pray that you give everybody the the littlest even ounce of energy to be able to act decisively. And I pray, Lord, that we would do so understanding our humanity and being gracious to one another and certainly to ourselves. Provide for us every resource that we need, God, to be made whole. And ultimately, would our eyes not be fixed on a therapy appointment on our calendar or any type of um, worldly resource. We want to use them, yes, and amen to that. But would our hearts be latched onto the cross, knowing that its power means everything to us right now, as well as our eternity. We sang it a minute ago. Calvary has bought, what it's bought for us is now and forever. And so, holy God, I pray that whether or not anybody in this room is looking for that, I pray that you go and find them and overwhelm them with that joy and that power. Be with us these four weeks. Be with us in our small group sessions. Be with us in the midweek on our own. Holy God, great counselor, shepherd us to wholeness in your love, in your way, in your timing, in your purpose and choosing, and in your power. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, while the praise team comes up, there is a, uh, a slide. Um, Gloria, if you could look for it in the pre-service announcement loops. I know not everyone's here while this thing is looping and it's here and there and it's just a QR code, but there's a how can we pray for you slide. Um, that doesn't get used that often. <laughs> but, and that's okay. We don't always, you know, it's fine. But the prayer ministry created that because there are people who are committed to praying for anybody who asks for it. And so if that's you and you need it, this is available to you. And uh, like I said, uh, myself and Pastor Bill also. So we'll just take a minute in reflection as, as we get prepared, and then we'll respond in singing.